Hello and welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at Freight Waves for all things related to the CPG industry, the consumer packaged goods industry. I'm your host, Mike Bowden. Just I set aside about 26 minutes here every Monday to go through uh, what's happening in the world of CPG news and the freight metrics that we track in Sonar that are most relevant to the CPG industry. And today I'll talk about uh, one of the, what some of the CPG companies are saying, what some of the retailers are saying about where CPG prices go from here. Uh, there's some differing opinions about that. So I'll go through that. Also talk through some um, macro data. I think was pretty Im- important as well as some you know, news about uh, you know, what could happen with food stamps that I think are pretty important as far as uh, as they could relate to CPG demand. And then I'll go through a few uh, charts from FreightWaves uh, Sonar. Um, but before I do that, I uh, would uh, encourage anyone who's not already signed up for the FreightWaves newsletter on the stock out to go and do that. Just go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out, or you can just go to FreightWaves, uh, up the top newsletters, the stock out's the first thing that comes up under uh, supply chains. Um, would also encourage you to go through and sign up for any other newsletters that are uh, relevant. Some of the others that might be relevant uh, to you would be point of sale, which focus on retail. And then there's one on, on cold chain. Uh, so I encourage you to do those as well. Uh, also, uh, this week is Global Supply Chain Week at uh, Freight Waves. And so we're going to have another virtual conference that takes place starting tomorrow. Tuesday goes through Thursday. And on Wednesday, we set aside a time uh, to speak specifically on the CPG industry. Some of the um, speakers there include Ben Ritchie. He does the logistics for Black Rifle coffee uh tom madrecki who's the supply chain guy at the consumer brands association herman haxtein who i interviewed he's the president of the private rail car food and beverage association so anyone that ships uh consumer packaged goods via the railroad is going to want to be um is going to be interested in that session and then peter friedman he's the executive director of the agriculture transportation coalition it'll be interesting to see if he says anything about rail service as well. A lot of those shippers that rely on rail to move agriculture products have had all kinds of uh, service uh, issues. Um, Some of that, you know, directly relates to a CPG. So we'd encourage you to to, uh, view those things in the coming weeks um, and reach out uh, to those contacts as you see fit. Um, So with that, I'll get into uh, the content today. Uh, Topic number one, there really is this lack of consensus on the CPG retail price outlook. So really one of the big topics right now in CPG is where do the prices on the shelves go from here? A lot of these CPG prices are 15% higher than they were at this time last year. And um, those prices last year were about 10%, you know, in some cases 8%, but but in uh, any event, high higher than they were the previous year. So you go look at what CPG price is now versus two years ago. A lot of those are 20 to 25% higher than they were. And when they survey consumers as, as far as how much they think that um, their grocery prices are higher than they were you know, a couple of years ago, uh, the, the, the consumers almost always overestimate the, the change in the, in the prices versus how much they actually change. So it, it feels worse to consumers than it really uh, is. And this price retail price issue has come to the forefront, not just because consumers are getting, you know, tapped out. We're seeing savings rate go, rates go down, you know, consumer credit cards, you know, going up. But, you know, you look at a lot of this commodity price and the commodities are just way off their highs. They have a chart from uh, you know, just of, of wheat futures 
for September delivery. And, and this is the type of chart where you look at that and think, well, okay, well, our grocery prices have to come down pretty pretty quickly, right? I mean, considering that wheat uh, futures are back to where they were, you know, pre-pandemic uh, levels, but um, you know, some of the CPG companies, you know, don't view it that way. So I have a list of companies here that are not expecting further price increases. So last week, uh, Kraft Heinz said it would it would it would not have any. Uh, further price increases, at least not in the near term. Uh, Pepsi said something similar. They said Pepsi said that they had most of their price increases for the year already in place. Now they did take a lot of uh, price increases in the past um, in, in the past year, so that may have uh, something to to do with that. And then there was this really um, sort of interesting quote from the CEO of Edgewell Personal Care, it's a company that owns Schick Razor, among other things, and and he said it'd be very it's going to be very difficult to pass on. Uh, further price increases to the retailers, at least from his perspective, and that's sort of the personal care uh, grooming uh, segments. He said that Walmart um, is telling their their uh, you know, suppliers that um, the CPGs would have to have very good reasons to increase prices from here after going through multiple rounds of uh, price increases. Heard something similar from Whole Foods. Whole Foods reportedly um, hosted a virtual conference. And they, um, you know, told their suppliers that they're expecting, you know, price cuts. So there's, uh, you know, four different companies that say, well, most of these price cuts are kind of behind us. You know, maybe they go flat from from here. There are some on the opposite uh, side, so I can go through those. Nestle last week, so this is the biggest, um, you know, packaged food company. They say that their net sales is going to grow six to eight percent this year, which will be pricing. Led, which I interpret to mean sort of flattish volume, um, with most of that six to eight percent being being price, and you know maybe that's similar to what they just had in 2022, which is eight percent. And Nestle also said that they have some catching up to do as far as recovering their costs in in price. So um, you know they think there's the prices go up go up more. Unilever said that we're past peak inflation. This is from the, the outgoing CEO. Um, so past peak inflation, but not past peak, peak prices. So that it sounds to me like where prices are still rising, rising at a slower rate, getting into the second derivatives, heard something similar from their uh, most comparable company, which is Procter & Gamble. They think that the, the prices are going to continue to rise. Also heard um, you know, Treehouse Foods, which reported in the last week or so, uh, that company said that um, really what you're seeing, uh, the commodities that you're seeing in the traded commodities, yes, those have come down, like that chart I showed earlier on on wheat, but they're non-tradable expenses, things like labor, packaging, labeling, you know, a lot of the other things that go into the, the costs of, of packaged foods, those have come, um, those are those are still rising. And um, so, so it's just the traded commodities are coming down, the non-traded commodities still going up. Uh, also heard Mondelez. They they say their costs are going to be higher by double digits in 2023. They said part of that's related to their their own company specific hedges that are rolling off that they've had previously benefited from. Uh, but also, I mean, they say that they're still having higher expenses for a lot of the the, the things that they buy that they need. So um, also heard that from from Coca Cola. They say prices are still rising. So most of the CPG companies suggests that uh, there's still further to go on um, you know price increases um, and maybe there are additional you know rounds and it does seem to lend itself to a more contentious relationship between the CPG companies and the retailers the retailers want to hold the line on, on pricing from here a lot of those retailers are concerned about you know market share losses to a lot of the discounters I mean the the, the retail chains that are the fastest growing right now 
would include Aldi, which is almost all private label. And a lot of the dollar stores, actually, like Dollar General, adding a lot of locations. They're actually adding a lot of space that's dedicated to refrigerated and food. Uh, and sort of the traditional retailers concerned about, about holding on to some of that, that the market share that are priced a little bit, a little bit higher. So there's going to be a lot of back and forth. Um, there was this interesting um, sort of uh, back and forth with uh, the CEO of Tesco. Now, Tesco is a UK retailer, so I wasn't familiar with this one, but um, supposedly they said that you know their their company had a falling out with certain suppliers over price. I guess the CEO was quoted um, in an interview where he said that the suppliers were gouging consumers on the price and really you know blamed the CPG companies for the um, the higher uh, prices on shelves that, that consumers are seeing. Of, of course, um, the CPG companies didn't agree with that, and um, you know that's that one's uh, I, I don't know that. There's going to be a lot of uh, cases with the major retailers in the U.S. That, that that come to that. Maybe you know cooler heads will will prevail. But in, in any case, um, you know you may see things like retailers ordering you know fewer you know smaller quantities of certain goods. Maybe they'll they'll do something with promotions. Maybe they'll do something with with product placement on shelves. But um, but clearly, I think the the relationship between you know retailer and uh, CPG companies may be a little bit strained. So I think the the where the prices go from here. Ultimately, is going to be uh, depending on how much elasticity some of these these um, you know uh, products are seeing. Some are still not seeing a lot of elasticity. Some of these companies say they're raising prices, you know, double digits, and they're only seeing volumes go down two percent, which most CPG companies will take. Um, and then just the relative forces between the CPG company and the retailer, you know, Walmart from here. If that um, you know consumer products company is is to be believed, maybe they hold the price, uh, they'll hold the line on price more so than some of these other. Uh, you know, retailers. Uh, moving on to topic number two, the uh, producer price index, the PPI, exceeds expectations in January. This is one thing that, um, you know, when this was reported, the stock market was down last week, sort of showed that uh, maybe inflation is not easing as quickly as some would like it to uh, ease and have a chart on this. And this is uh, what this basically shows is that uh, the consu- consumer uh, price index, the CPI, which is in white, had risen at um, you know a certain pace that you know peaked up at at nine percent or so uh, earlier or you know last year. But you know during most of this time during the pandemic, that green line, which is the producer price index, rose faster than uh, so the PPI rose faster than the CPI. That caused a margin pressure for a lot of the CPG companies that fell you know into that category. I mean, a lot of those companies that have seen a lot of pressure on their margins. As well, and um, that's something I think a lot of the CPG companies are going to try to get back. But getting back to that, that PPI, it increased 0.7% in January from the prior month. That's compared to a 0.2% drop in December. Uh, supplier uh, prices rose 6% in January from a year earlier. That's um, you know less than the 6.5% year over year they rose in December, and and below the 11.7% peak in March of, of 2022. But um, in any event, that um, I think most people were expecting something closer to what they saw in December, two percent or you know two two tenths of a percent month over month, and said the point seven percent month month over month. So uh, I have another chart here on the producer price index from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. If if we could get get that up, and and really this shows for food manufacturing. This is for food manufacturing specifically, and it shows um, you know a few things here. It shows just how well behaved the food industry's 
uh, prices were that, 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 you know, their costs were from about 2013, really up until uh, the, the pandemic started, where there just wasn't not a lot of inflation there. And uh, you know, in, in return, they were able to see margins that improved. And then all of a sudden, you know, 2021, inflation starts to hit for a number of reasons, you know, commodities as well as supply chain issues. And it's had kind of a step function up from 2020 into 2021. And then again, from 2021, the Ukraine war starts into 2022. So you've had these sort of two annual hits uh, in a row. And you just if you just look at the food PPI, it increased um, 0.5% in January, and it had declined 0.8% in December. So it, the food PPI, it really was a whipsaw there. And that food PPI up 9.1% year over year in January. And so the conclusion is that the government data, at least, seems to support the CPG's contention. Most of those CPGs are saying, my costs are still rising, even if the traded commodities are down. The PPI data, specifically for food, seems to bear that out. Um, so I think... Um, you know, we probably will see uh, you know retail prices continue to rise. I think the, the the CPG companies probably have to do that in order to get their margins back to uh, targeted uh, levels. So not great news for the consumers. Now, I'll move on to topic number three here, which is changes to SNAP could hit packaged food demand. So SNAP, uh, basically the, the food stamps. Um, what was interesting is that in uh, 2022, the SNAP benefits made up. This is a couple of articles I read over the weekend with the Wall Street Journal. There's, there's in other places too related to food, but this could have a pretty big impact on the CPG companies um, because a lot of the extended uh, or enhanced SNAP benefits that went into place during COVID are going to start to run off in March for about 38 states. You know, some states they've already started to come off, but um, kind of some interesting stats I'll run through. Uh, that were in the in the media. So in 2022, SNAP benefits, if you include the COVID era emergency allotments, made up 12.3% of total at-home food and beverage. So 12.3%, and that's up from 7.1% in 2019. And so this is a chart, okay, a little bit out of date, but you get the the idea where, um, you know, that dark green um, bars represent the emergency allotments that went into effect Starting in March of 2020, went went fully into effect. You know, April 2020, and that was a big uh, sort of step up in you know the SNAP uh, benefits and also the the SNAP participation. So they they loosened all of those things, and um, I mean clearly a lot of uh, those funds were spent on you know a lot of the national CPG brands. The national CPG brands tended to gain market share during that time. Large part of that is because their supply chains were functional. And those products were on shelves. But some stats here I think are kind of interesting is um, in March, uh, SNAP participants in about 35 states will lose at least $95 a month or some $3 billion. So a three-person household that uh, receives these benefits will go from $759 a month to $592 a month. And some of the states that uh, decided to roll this back early they did see, um, you know, those states underperform in terms of some of these these food products, according to certain, uh, you know, analyst reports. There are some states that'll be an exception. New Jersey is going to make up for it with state benefits, but that's going to be the exception rather than uh, the rule. Um, and there is going to be a cost of living adjustment where it's just the normal SNAP benefits step up for inflation, but sort of on a net basis, the SNAP funds available are expected to decline seven percent. So. 
I think that's something that could um, have a meaningful impact on a lot of the national uh, CPG uh, brands. Uh, topic number four here, I'll get into the freight data. I always like to spend at least a few minutes on uh, FreightWave Sonar and what we can can learn from, from that after going through the, the CPG news. So I want to bring up this first chart, which is the van and reefer outbound tender rejection uh, index. And so dry van uh, tender rejection index is in white, reefer is in green. And this shows, well, those are both really at low levels. Uh, van at 3%, uh, reefer at 4%. The only time it was any worse than that was uh, right as everything was shut down in March of 2020 and uh, shippers weren't working, weren't getting things uh, shipped. And so it was maybe even easier to get something uh, moved there and, and accepted there. But, you know, with, without a lot of other exceptions, this is about um, on a relative basis about the, um, you know, loosest capacity has has seen. Uh, you know, Donnie uh, Gilbert walked through the re his reefer um, you know, story this morning on freight waves. Now I'd encourage you to go back and uh, listen to this, but you know, if you're a shipper and you see those tender rejection rates and that low single digits, you really have to hold carriers accountable to accepting, you know, 90 plus percent of your loads. Those do vary by lane. And, you know, you can go into freight wave sonar and look at exactly what those tender rejection rates are, you know, per lane or outbound of inbound of, of certain locations. Uh, but um, really uh, uh, the shipper should be holding carriers to, a high level right now. Uh, as far as how that's translating to contract rates, I want to bring up the van contract rate uh, chart. And so 2023, a year to date, is in white. And this shows that uh, van contract rates from a company that processes transactions down by 8.2% year over year. And you see uh, 2020 was in, it was in orange. And it was a double-digit rate increase from there to 2021 in blue, and then again from 2021 to 2022 in, in green. So you saw two years of consecutive double-digit price increases, and 2020 and 2021, you saw those contract rates rise throughout the year as contracts were rebid. 2022, it was the opposite, where the rates were pretty much flat up until about August, and those started to come down. Now they're down 8.2% year over year. Would think that that um, spread between this year and last widens at least through uh, the first half of the year based on where spot rates are. And spot rates are still well below uh, dry van uh, you know, contract uh, rates. I want to bring up another chart that I think is interesting. It's the van um, you know, contract rates, and I compare those to the reefer uh, contract rates. And so the van contract rates are in white and the the reefer contract rates are in blue so you want to go back to the last time we had a quote-unquote normal freight market which is before pandemic let's call that 2019 which 2019 was loose but aside from that more normal than what we've had during the the, the covid time frame so during that time frame reefer rates as you can see on the chart higher than drive-in contracts by let's say 20 cents a mile 25 cents a mile uh, and since uh, the middle of 2020, since so much of that demand was was uh, concentrated in the dry space, that's just demand that's more um, more volatile. The dry van rates really went crazy. It went from about two dollars a mile uh, before fuel surcharges, it's just line haul rates. I'm speaking of here, go all went all the way up to three dollars on average. They've since retreated to two fifty two fifty seven. The reefer rates went down to a dollar. 75, but then then went up to almost two, let's call it 270, and now are 245. So we're still showing van rates 12 cents above 
reefer rates, those are both contract rates. Those both exclude fuel. So, so keep that in mind. But um, you know, maybe at some point you know, there needs to be those those lines need to cross again, and reefer needs to again be higher than you know dry van in order for when the market fully normalizes. And my interpretation of that is maybe that the dry van rates have further to fall than the refrigerated rates. But um, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see on that. Um, I also want to bring up a, a chart on intermodal contract rates, comparing those to to dry van rates. So this is one where um, you know the intermodal, you know, both of these contract rates exclude uh, fuel, which is you know this, on this next chart I'll, I'll I'll include them. But just you know, main point here is that the dry van rates do tend to be more volatile than the intermodal contracts. Intermodal contracts are in in um, in, in white. The the van contracts are in uh, are in blue. And, um, you know, from here, you can look at sort of an intermodal uh, savings chart if you want to go to the next chart, which is intermodal contract uh, savings. And so this is from, you know, the same data suppliers, the company that processes transactions, the intermodal uh, contract savings for all lengths of haul is in white. And what that shows is when you include fuel surcharges into intermodal rates and also include them into dry van rates, and you just limit the data series to the same five-digit origin destination pairs, uh, shipping uh, goods on the same week, and sort of to eliminate all those other variables about having, you know, too long of drays or too short of drays on, on, on either side, the the spread between dry van and intermodal is right at about 10%, which 10% is at the low end of the historical range. I mean, you tend to think of Intermodal, um, you know, rates all in, including fuel, tend to be, you know, let's call it ten to fifteen percent below uh, dry van. You know, our data shows it's more like ten to twenty percent below below dry van if you just look at the same five-digit origin destination pairs. And so it does show that that's kind of sort of the right, right part of the low end of the range. So to get sort of the middle part of the range, I think the dry van contract rates have further to fall, um, and that's really been dramatic. If you want to put that chart back up with what's happened with the long haul uh, savings rate. So uh, that L, that, that green line is limiting the lengths of haul to 1,200 miles or longer. So that's going to include the LA to, to Chicago, LA to Dallas, LA to Atlanta, uh, et cetera. And then when you look at that, there were times where, where we found it was high as, as 30%, and now it's down to, to, to 13%. So that's come down a long way as well. I think part of that is the weakness in the dry van contract market outside of uh, LA where the, the tender rejection rates in LA have been very low uh, for an extended uh, period of time. Um, you know, that's uh, important because it just, it just shows that the dry van um, market is very competitive in some lanes that are traditionally purely intermodal lanes. And you think about a lane like LA to Dallas, 1500 miles, uh, you know, intermodal, would t- tends to be, um, you know, intermodal. That would be an intermodal lane. But I think a lot of carriers are willing to take that, gets them into a fairly good uh, market um, in in Dallas, gets them out of a weaker market in 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 LA. So I think that's one of the changes that that we're seeing, uh, you know, in the in the marketplace. And I think that's um, you know a, a data set that's relevant for shippers that use both modes, both dry van and uh, intermodal. And there are some uh, shippers, including some CPG companies, that will share with us the rates they're paying in, in dry van and intermodal. We're going in and we're comparing the rates that they're 
paying in the marketplace with other rates that we're seeing, showing them lane by lane, which lanes are paying too much in, which lanes maybe they're below the market in, which it can also present a, a problem if they're not getting coverage and there's and carriers are, are, are going to other um, you know shippers uh, when things get a little bit tight. But you know, all things considered, I think maybe the um, contract rates across some of these modes has held up better than I would have expected uh, in light of the fact that, you know, the tender rejection rates have been so low and there's, there is, uh, you know, looseness in capacity. And I think a lot of that is related to, um, you know, the, the big shippers want to continue to, to, to see, to be the preferred, you know, shippers. And so I think the idea is to not screw over the carrier too badly when things are tight, because you're going to want to have that capacity available uh, when things um, recover. And it's, it's only a matter of time before, inventories uh, get drawn down too far and need to be restocked. We don't know, you know when exactly that is. That's always hard to call the timing, but at some point, inventories will need to be restocked. The transportation capacity will get tight again, and those companies, I think, will um, be happy to have those uh, carriers as, as partners. Um, so with that, um, that's really what I wanted to cover today. Um, you know, encourage you again to go to uh, uh, www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout, sign up for that newsletter, and hope everyone has a great day.